Well, as this video kind of reminds us, is that every moment in our lives is an opportunity to be thankful for God's grace, His mercy, and His love towards us. This particular video is that reminder that every moment does matter. And what happens, though, often in those is that we lose sight of them. I don't know if you feel this way, but I had one of those experiences this week. Uh, Susan and I took our oldest daughter, Samantha, back up for her senior year of college. And so one of the things we typically do is we pray for our kids, either the morning the school starts or whatever. In this case, uh, she starts this week, but we were dropping her off, and so we gathered in her room, and we're praying over her uh, for her year to come in school. And so we began to pray, and we're holding hands and standing there, and it just smacked me upside the head, and I thought, didn't we just drop her off? And it's been three years. And I, I just was blown away and also began to think about what God has done in her life, what God has done in our lives in those three years, not only because of her being at that wonderful school, but just the, the ways that God has walked with us as a family. It's a reminder that even though that we lose track of our moments, God does not. God remembers every moment. God knows everything that has happened and will happen. And what this is called is God's providence. For those of you theological fans, this is a theological term. God's providence is simply God's activity throughout history. God's activity where he provides for needs of human beings, especially those who follow him. It's actually God's interaction with us in this world. It means that realizing at certain points that when we get there, God's already been there. It means that we have evidence that God has not left this planet. He didn't get the blue ball spinning and step back and say, well, let's just see how it works out. No, God knows, God is, and God visits, he touches, he communicates, he controls, he intervenes, and he comes before us, and he comes between us and our needs. God is not dead. He's surely alive. You see, in this period of history, as we come upon this 19th chapter of the story, we come into a time where Ezra the prophet and priest, begins to speak into the lives of the Israelites. Remember, they have been exiled. They are in a desolate place. And in that, in a period and a time where it's been kind of depressing. I mean, I don't know about you, but this part of the New Testament, it's like, oh my goodness, because it could it get any worse. Well, but we're reminded today and we'll look at today, is that God was in control of every part of it. This was not happening outside of what God really wanted to happen to fulfill his overall purpose. Yeah, the Israelites, they didn't follow God as they should, but God is not derailed because of it, and God is still active. After being held captive during in Babylon for several decades, Babylon was overtaken by a Persian king. And some of the same tyranny and rule that took place before existed for the Israelites. But what I want us to do today is we're going to be in the book of Ezra. 
And my goal today, as we look at several, uh, several pieces along the way, is not about any one particular activity. There is plenty of study, there's plenty of time uh, for you guys to go back and look specifically at these. But here's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at the overall activity of God. I want us to see the complete, the comprehensive ways that God moves. I want us to see it in the dark times. I want us to see it in the good times as it pertains to Israel and also us. So if you want to follow along, a few passages of Scripture are going to be on the screen, but I want to dig into Ezra here briefly. God moved. Ezra 1.1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is no little thing, church, because God used the influence and position and power of a foreign king, one who did not follow him, who was not a Christ follower, who was not a God follower. God used a king, a foreign king, to bring Israel home. It's a reminder that as circumstances seemed hopeless for the Israelites when they were in this desert, desolate place, God moved. And then if we move on to Ezra 1.5, it's where the priests and people of Judah, having heard of Cyrus' decree, decided that they should prepare. Verse 5 says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone, whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. You see, these were people that going back home was not as easy as you might think. They had been away for decades. Many who, many who were born in Babylon or now Persia didn't know what that place was like, although they had heard stories. They had kind of settled in in some ways. And now, God, you're taking us back We're scared. God inspired courage by moving in the hearts of the people of Israel so that they would take the step and go home. As fear paralyzed their ability to move, God moved. When they returned to the land of Judah, when they returned to the city of Jerusalem to follow through with the plans that God had called them to carry out, we see in Ezra 3.3, Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. You see, somewhere along the way, and even in returning back to Jerusalem, is that there was a tendency to get priorities out of whack. But somewhere along the way, God moved in the hearts of the people and not only brought them home, but helped them understand and remind them, the first thing you shall do is worship me. And for an Israelite, what they had to do was build an altar because sacrifices and offerings represented that worship that they had lost touch of but was so much a part of their history. God reminded the Israelites the importance of honoring him first. So when priorities were out of order, God moved. 
Moving on to Ezra 3.8, the altar has been completed, and now it's time to begin the house of the Lord building project. In the second month of the second year after the arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, that's a fun one to say, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people. The priest and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work. You see, they knew it was their calling. They knew it was something they were brought back to do. But just like any of us, those projects at time sometimes lose focus, sometimes lose track. But even in that, God sustained the momentum of the Israelites and he provided protection. You see, as plans came together, God moved once again. But then there was this period of time. The project had begun, and we read about in Ezra 4. Now issue an order to these men to stop work. This was the governor of that area at that time, who was not someone who was a, a follower of God. So that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow, he said, to the detriment of the royal interest. I think this is one of the hardest places to see God move. You looked at what happened, was happening with the Israelites, and they were seeing success. Yet God allowed the progress to stop. And you're saying, well, God must not have been in it. Oh, no, God was in it. But progress stopped, and God allowed it. He didn't cause it, but he allowed it. But as progress was stopped on this building project, God moved. Several decades later, after a period of about six years of off and on work of building the temple, then came a period of ten years where no building took place. I want us to jump over to the book of Haggai, chapter 1 and verse 3, because I believe Haggai captures what is going on in terms of the activity of God. Verse 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Speaking of the temple. Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of those whose remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. They were weary of the resistance. They were weary of the fighting and the opposition. And so there was a point that instead of focusing on the house of the Lord to build that, even though that the Lord had called them to do that, they settled in to work on their own houses. It's a very common thing we do, isn't it? Not necessarily uh, literally, but figuratively, we kind of draw in. But God didn't leave them alone because God's purpose had not been fulfilled. And so God brought conviction, that stirring, that thing I call holy tension where he will not leave us alone. He did that with the Israelites. And when they had kind of settled in, oh, we're back home, everything's good. We have an altar, isn't that enough? Let's settle in our own homes and let's take care of our stuff. God spoke through. He spoke through every particular circumstance with the prophet and priest Haggai and then Zechariah. You see, as complacency and doubt became the norm, God moved. And then 
they began to build. And Tatadai, who was the governor at that time, sends a letter to King Darius, the new king of, of um, Persia, formerly Babylon. At that time, Tatanai, in verse 3 of chapter 5, and their associates went to them. I'm skipping the hard names. But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews. And they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. What happened was that God provided practical supplies. Supplies were coming in from everywhere to build a temple. Supplies were coming from people that did not know God, did not believe in God. They became instruments in the hand of God to build the temple. You see, as resources seemed inadequate, God moved. And then beyond anybody's expectation, as if it weren't enough that they got supplies and they could do this thing, is that in Ezra 6.12 we read, May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you read the details of this, it goes so far to say anyone gets in the way, grab a beam that we're going to build the temple with and impale them. That's harsh. But that's how God moves. He doesn't just move a little bit. God moves in great ways. God gave protection for the people and the work and their purpose. As protection was needed, anybody want to guess? God moved. And then they're building away. They're building away, but it's a big project. It's kind of like life. It takes a lot to build a life. But as 6.14 in Ezra says, So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai and the prophet, the prophet and Zechariah. God knows always just when we need encouragement. God knows and knew that the people of that land had been in this project for a long time and they were getting discouraged. But as people were discouraged, God moved. Ezra 6.22, the temple had been near completion. It is a point and a time that it's not just let's check it off and move on. For seven days, verse 22 says, they celebrated with joy the festival of the unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria, no small feat, so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God. God gave joy. God always gives joy. God always gives peace, and it's not when we're happy necessarily. It's not when things are going good. But here, there was something to celebrate. As celebration was required, God moved. You see the comprehensive work of God? The beautiful thing about this is this God we serve is not done moving. God is active today. Stories like this and so many others throughout history help us gather and comprehend the comprehensive activity of God, His providence. 
But I know what you're thinking, likely, because it's something that I think. And whenever I've talked to anybody about God's providence, I hear this question. Well, God, or Dan, they don't call me God, thank goodness. Uh, uh, I had one little girl call me God once, and I didn't want to stick with that. So we, we went with Dan. So the, the point is, is that one of the hardest things to understand is that why does God move here and not move here? We get stuck there, don't we? Well, great, this is wonderful. God's moving in the time of the Israelites here, and we can celebrate it and look back and say, okay, we know this story. So what about now? What about now in my life? Because it sure doesn't feel like God is moving. First of all, it's not ours to know why. Now, I know we want to ask that question, and God's big enough to take that question, and so you keep asking But if you are waiting solely for Him to give you the why, let me tell you, church, it could be a long wait. Because that's not the point of God's providence. The point of God's providence in our understanding in this life on earth is that we are to understand that He moves because there are two very specific things that He wants to reveal. Not just when it happened, not just what this has to do with us. Oh, he knows it has to do with us, and he has not lost touch with that. His hands hold every moment. First thing God wants to do, and a question we should ask where we're in these moment, moments of why, God, have you moved? Why did you not move here? Or why did you move in this way? We need to ask ourselves, God, what are you trying to teach me about yourself? God never acts without one of his purposes being that he wants to reveal himself to you and to others. He wants you to understand in a whole new way what his compassion is about. Those of you who have dealt with illness, particularly an illness that struck you very quickly or an illness where um, you just didn't feel like that you were sick and it's here and it's happened. I've talked to so many people who have walked through that time. God didn't leave them. God will not leave those who follow him. And in that time, what almost every person says to me when they come out of it, and the other pastors could speak to this too, is, you know what? I understand God's compassion and his grace more than I ever did before I was sick. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants us to understand that. And sometimes the only way we understand that, not because he punishes us, but he wants to walk with us through that. You see, religion doesn't do much for us when we've lost a job or we've been stricken with an illness or we've lost someone very close to us much before their time. Religion doesn't do anything for us, but a relationship with Jesus Christ where we can stand back and say, my God is active and my God has not forgotten me and my God is more merciful to me than I've ever understood before. But the other reason God moves, the other reason that sometimes we don't understand is because God wants to fulfill His ultimate purposes And his ultimate purpose, we've said it many a times, is not simply to make us happy. In fact, like the Israelites, sometimes he wants to do this. Because for whatever reason, we've gotten some sort of understanding or we've somehow drawn away from God. And God says, come back. Come back to me. 
Remember, that's why you were created, to be in relationship with me. Remember that everything you will ever do ultimately is purposed as a follower of Jesus Christ and God is to build the kingdom because that's God's ultimate purpose. You see, God wants to draw through his activity, you and others. God wants to care for you and give you direction and guidance and instruction. He wants to intervene. But we're not always going to understand that. That's one of those things we have to surrender. We have to trust in faith. God's ultimate movement was expressed in the Son, Jesus Christ. God's ultimate movement was when He said, I'm going to send you my Son. And my Son is going to walk on the earth that everyone following and years after will walk until I return. And in that, I'm going to allow my Son to be crucified. Now we understand on this side of the cross that that was a good thing. But can you imagine, and we read about the stories of people say, I can't believe that, why God would you let your son die? Oh, God knew exactly what he was doing. And I'm grateful for that, and I know you are too. But they didn't understand it at the moment. You see, God sent prophets like Haggai and Zechariah who share a bit of a prophetical note in their letters that talk about this coming Messiah. And that the temple that was being built was only a shadow of the glory that it would receive when Jesus, the Son of God, entered that temple. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture, Acts 17. And I want us to look at God's activity. And Paul is explaining this as he's giving a bit of a cultural lesson for people. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. What that means is that the, the God does not live in this building. Can he be in this building? Is he present in this, present in this building at times? Absolutely. But God is not contained to this physical facility. Thank you. You see, God, in sending His Son as an ultimate act of achieving His purpose and drawing people in relationship with Himself and building the kingdom, also went one more step. He said, I'm going to give you my Spirit. And so, where God's Spirit is, the Spirit that lives in us, for those of us who believe, God moves. Verse 25, and he is not severed by human hands as if he needed anything because God himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, that is Adam, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, that is God, determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any of us. God lives here. God lives in those of you who believe. Sometimes I'm amazed because I hear people say, and it has been the cause of people leaving this church over the years to say, well, I just don't feel like God is doing anything there. Really? Because without sounding overly critical and without being mean, part of what I want to say, well, God is, should be living in you. 
Now, I would never want to say that in a mean-spirited way, but let's open our eyes that if God is not moving, perhaps it's because you are not allowing God to move and His Spirit to move in you. You see, revival always starts with us looking at ourselves first. A good church becomes a great church, not because of some stellar sermon, because you're probably not going to get it. It's going to come because the Spirit of God is moving in us. And we are responding. You see, God sent His Son and His Spirit that we might know His providence, not just as a theological concept, but we might trust in it. You see, we should live differently, which is the whole point of this message this morning. We should live live differently because we know God is active. We know God is not dead. God's moving is not dependent on our own, which is a little hard to swallow at times. But what it does, God's movement, whether we see it or not, builds a faith in us. You see, the people of God should be people that can say God is moving, even when we have no idea how that's happening. But we believe and we trust, and we are ready at any moment's notice to follow that movement and follow Him. So because God moves... Because God moves, there have been many over centuries and thousands of years that have taken great comfort in the providence of God, the activity of God. We should be no different. And it's not where we just sit back and say, okay, God, you stay at it. That's good. Let me just, let me just watch. No, God says, you're in. You are in the game. You are a part of this because a part of his complete purpose is to use the church to help people see that God moves. And I will tell you, it's happened in this church before, and it will happen again, where there will be times when we wonder, is God moving? That's when the church is at its best, because that's when faith in Jesus Christ and God the Father should thrive. That's what people notice. People don't notice when everything is successful and you say, oh, give God the glory, even though you may say that in very, very purely and and very good motive. What people take notice on is when your life stinks, when your life is falling apart and everything your nice, neat little plan had is gone. And believe me, I've been there. And God says, now, that's when they're going to take notice. Because that's when we can stand and say, my God is still God and he is still active, even though he's pretty silent right now, the way I see it. When we look back at the Israelites we look back at their story in this part of history. We saw circumstances that were very hopeless. There were many in the land of Babylon, Persia, that probably thought, we're never getting out of here. God had a different plan. You see, when our circumstances seem hopeless in a desolate place, we can trust in God's ability to bring hope. He used a foreign king who wanted nothing to do with him, two foreign kings, He uses people throughout Scripture, throughout history. He has the ability to use anyone to fulfill his purposes. No barrier is too great for God because God is active and God moves. And he is our only hope. We met again on Thursday night for uh, the latest meeting on this Hope Over Heroin uh, event potentially coming into Preble County next year. And uh, I'm continually amazed what God is doing in stirring churches and pastors. And um, 
as, as we continue to look at that and, and figure out how we can be a part of that, one of the things that the Hope Over Heroin representative said the other night, he said, I want to be very clear with you to start off. He said, bringing an event is not going to deal with this issue. It may cover it for a while. But he said, what you need to know and what you need to believe from the very beginning as the churches in this community is that what these people need more than anything is Jesus Christ. Just like we need Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's the hope we should assure ourselves in because we know our God moves. I look at this thing and it scares me to death. And I get overwhelmed at times thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? We're not going to do it. God's going to do it. But we got to be vessels. When fear paralyzes our ability to move like it did with the Israelites, we can act with assurance on God's promise to deliver us out of that place because God moves. All of those prayers that we think are unheard, all of those times where we wonder why God doesn't seem to be acting right when we expect God is moving. Sometimes he's preparing your heart for the move. I've seen in my life that there's times where I felt like God has abandoned me. No, what God was doing in hindsight is he was preparing me for the move because I was not ready. I said I was ready. I said I was going to follow him. He knew that he was going to lose me in the way. He, he, I was going to bow out of it. Sometimes the waiting is because he's working through the fear in us. God wants us to be confident in him. That's why he moves. Because God moves when our priorities are out of order, when we don't want to build the altar first, we want to build the temple first, we can lean on God to walk through each step of necessary changes. We've all been there. We've all been there in situations where changing our lives seems to be way too great. And we begin to think about all of these steps and all of these things. I don't know how to do this and this. And what about when I get here? What about when this happens? And God says, trust me, each step. Let's walk this one, and then we'll walk another one together. God moves amidst every part of that. When plans come together and successes are there, we should not take credit. That's an opportunity for us to give credit to God for His ability to sustain. This church building is representative of many people through many years, both congregational members, leaders, elders, pastors that have given their lives for the gospel. But this building, this campus, this time in history, we did not get here solely because of any of them. We will not go further preparing for the kingdom solely because of us. God gets the credit. God gets the credit. But yet we can look very gratefully and see men and women who have given so and sacrificed so many things to allow us to be the church we are today. As I continue to visit people, there is this underlying theme of conviction that I love. And it's a theme of conviction that talks about what is near to dear and to their heart and what makes this church God's vessel. Just this week, I heard of a story of a senior adult couple who, who not accidentally came across the path of a man in his 50s while they were caring for their own daughter who was uh, at that season of life. 
and their own daughter passed away. But this connection that they made with this 50-year-old was so significant because what happened is this man whose illness had overtaken him lost his job, lost everything he had. And God moved in the hearts of this couple to provide. As I'm walking out their door, they very nonchalantly said to me, yeah, we're helping out this, this, um, this 50-so-year-old so man. And we had some stuff that we gave to him to furnish his apartment because he lost everything and he had no hope. And, and I, I just kind of chuckled because I'm like, they act like it was no big deal. And I'm like, you are being the hands and feet of Jesus. Keep it up. That's it. God used them, moved in them to be a provider in his name. You see, sometimes plans come together, but sometimes plan progress is stopped. And probably the most difficult thing to recognize is when progress is stopped is to think that God has abandoned us. But because God moves, when progress is stopped in our eyes, we can remember that God has not abandoned us and God works in silence. When complacency and doubt becomes the norm, we can rely on God's help to bring change in us because God moves. God loves to kick us in the seat of the pants from time to time. Not because he enjoys punishment. No, because God wants to see us experience his best. And the Israelites have become complacent. The movement I see in this church right now, and it's not... It's not um, created in my own mind. I truly see it. As I see many of you who are recognizing that God is awakening us in a lot of ways. And that complacency and doubt is not acceptable for this church. Will we have complacency and doubt? Yeah, we will. But that's where God moves. Because God will provide. When resources are inadequate, like the rebuilding of the temple... We can believe in his power to provide. I had a conversation last week as I was leaving church. And uh, this is just a funny one as a pastor, but it was so cool. Some gal said to me, she's a member of this church, and she, she was talking about a particular situation where we had kind of lost sight uh, on staff about God providing. And she said, very lovingly and kindly, she said, you know, you just preached on that the other week, that when we believe God can't provide, God will provide. We have to have faith. And I was like, "Woo!" I didn't do that. But I felt like that. She was right on. She was right on. I felt like an idiot. But I was, so, I was an excited idiot. Because what I was thrilled about is that she reminded me which I have to remind the staff that there are times when we get caught up in the particulars and God says, just trust me. I tried to explain it out that we were being good stewards and all that, and I thought about it later, and I thought, oh, that's baloney. We just didn't trust. See, God moves in those situations. Thank you to that person. When protection is needed, we don't have to run around worried. We don't have to run around anxious about everything because when God moves, we can rest in his peace and not worry. When we're discouraged, we can find encouragement from other believers because God moves through other believers. He moves through you. 
That's one of the reasons why the one another groups are so significant. And if you're not connected to one, there's more information coming in, in the next few weeks as we launch a new study. But you need, because God wants to use people in your life, be willing to be a part of that because I can almost guarantee He's going to use you as well. And then the celebration. One of the things I talked to the staff about this week is the fact that I want celebration to be a value that we embody. And it's not because I want us to ignore stuff that may not be going the way we wanted or I just want to focus on the positive. No, because God gives us opportunities to be thankful and He wants us to experience joy. Now, there's times we're not going to be happy, but we should always have joy, shouldn't we? A lot of times we just forget it. A lot of times we just forget to celebrate it. But I want it to be a part of everything that weaves through this congregation because we always have something to celebrate where God is moving even when we can't. For goodness sake, we got up this morning and we have another day on this earth to celebrate and to live and to serve Him with our lives. Let me close with a classic, provid- uh, plas- classic text on providence. Romans 8, 28, many of you know it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, in all these things, because God moves, we should move. Our, our faith should be full of expectation. Our faith should be full of anticipation. Not because we know it all, not because we're no, we, we don't have preferences, but because God is going to move. He hasn't stopped and he will not stop until his purposes are fulfilled. So let's be people. Let's be the church who is ready to abandon all because God moves. And if you're in that point right now and you really question God moving and you're struggling with seeing that, well, come. We'll pray for you. We're not necessarily going to pray that you see God move. We're going to pray that you trust God in that. And that's hard, I know. We all have our battles that way. But what hope, what assurance we have knowing that God is moving and God is going to continue to move. And we got to jump on board. I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray. Father, as we close in worship, help us to believe and know and live in even greater ways that show evidence of you moving. Lord, when we fail, help us not to get caught up that we didn't get the checklist done. Lord, it's not about that. Lord, help us to bask in your grace and your mercy because in that you move as well. Thank you for moving in the lives of the people in this room. Thank you for currently moving in the lives of this church. And God, may we be gracious, thankful, and may we be vessels to serve you. In the name of Jesus Christ, God's great movement, in Jesus' name, amen.